Amen. Thank you, Miss Andrea. Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119 this morning. And let us dismiss our children for children's ministry as we look at Psalm chapter 119 here this morning. Just a week away. Next week we start revival meeting with former pastor R.B. Willette. It will be a great help and blessing. And revival meetings are scheduled for a number of reasons with a number of different ministries. But from my perspective and my understanding is that revival meeting does not necessitate that we would have revival. But a revival meeting is a meeting for revival. And revival is not uh, a spiritual utopia, pie in the sky, carrot dangling before the Christian to motivate us. Revival is basic New Testament Christianity. Revival is a restoration. It, it, it's a, you take the word revive, vive is life. Re is again. It's life again. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In other words, he said, when you get saved, you're born again. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. But when you and I get saved, then we have the experience to have life again. In other words, we don't lose the eternal life, but we can experience a refreshing of it, an abundance of it. You're, you're born one time into this world. But there are times where you get winded. Our times where people have a heart attack. Our times where people are unconscious. And physically, there is a reviving. And physically, there's a refreshing. And Jesus is wanting to do that spiritual reviving and refreshing in our life. And God's been doing a work, and we're thankful for that. We want Him to keep doing a work, keep going deeper, and keep uh, uh, peeling back the, the layers of self and sin and so that we can experience greater sensitivity to the Lord. See, too often I think the Christian life is thought of as we get to heaven and all be taken care of. Well, you get to heaven, it's all automatic at that point. New body, new place, new life for eternity in heaven. You don't have to wonder or worry at that point about whether or not you'll be effective and successful. It, it is autopilot then. It's done deal. It's taken care of. No sickness, no sadness, no dieting, no heartaches, no, no nothing uh, that you have to worry about in heaven. And sometimes we tend to think, well, while we're here, you know, we just... This is where we sow our wild oats here until we get there, and, and that's not it. What we're here for is to continue what Jesus both taught and did and to experience what the songwriter wrote, heaven coming down and glory filling our soul and not experiencing some kind of weak, anemic, a defeated kind of a Christianity only to get there and get it fixed. No, we're to experience the foretaste of glory divine here through abundant Christian living, revival, and I'm so glad that we can have it. If you've not experienced revival except when a meeting comes around, you're living a uh, corrupt Christianity. Uh, he moved inside you so that he can revive us each and every day. 
And some of you need revival just to get out of bed in the mornings. I, I understand that. But, but I'm thankful we can have revival anytime. But we don't have revival on our terms. It's always on His. And so we're looking at the five habits of a healthy Christian. And these are simple ingredients within our life. Notice they're not strategies, but they are ingredients that would help us to have a culture, a life of healthy Christian living. It's what will help us get into revival and stay in revival and experience the life of God that has been imparted to us if we're saved. Psalm chapter 119, let's stand together. I want us to look at one verse to be our text, and we're going to talk about this. And these are basically topical thoughts in these five habits. And, and I want us to get down, these are basics. This is not seminary level course or Christianity, though any seminary course could dive into these with greater depth. This is all kindergarten level Christianity. This is down on the shelf where we can all get it. Psalm 119, verse 97. Let's read this out loud together. I'll say the reference, and you'll read it with me. Psalm 119, verse 97, together. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. This morning, I want us to look at the third habit of being a healthy Christian. And this morning, we're looking at living daily, in the Word of God, our daily Bible study, our daily Scripture reading. Thank you. Please be seated. When we talk about daily in the Word, our daily Scripture reading, what we mean by this is simply a regular time each day when you read the Bible. A regular time each day when you read the Bible. It's usually best to have some kind of plan or goal so you can make steady progress in your knowledge of God's Word. The Bible tells us and teaches us and it's clear that we should read God's Word again and again so that it can form our hearts, so that it can shape what we think. Romans chapter 12 tells us not to be conformed to this world but we ought to be changed and transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that is done by the Word of God. Now there's a great passage in regards to this found in the Old Testament. It's a significant passage. It's in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And I encourage you to write it down and to be able to remember this because you're going to find this being referenced even in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by thy way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Now, every Jew 
would know this verse, this passage rather. They would intimately know it. They would know it intrinsically because they're taught this. This is a great passage for us in regards to the Word of God. But do you notice the connection between loving the Lord and having God's Word in our hearts? They go together. Jesus would later call this, in Matthew 22, the greatest and most important command. You notice verse number 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently, what is it? The Word of God. Teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. This is one of the reasons we have a Christian school. Because of the emphasis and the saturation of the word of God. You, you find here, he's even telling us in verse number 8 and 9, we ought to have signs up that have the word of God written on it. We ought to have posters. We ought to have screensavers. We ought to have things where they can see the Word of God. That's why when we do have on the church sign, unless it's an advertisement for an event, we put verses on there. You know, a lot of church signs, they have little pithy sayings, cute little sayings. But the Word of God is what we need more than a cute little saying. God has never promised to bless what I think or say. He has promised to bless His Word. But as important as it is to have a Christian school and and an emphasis where your kids can hear the Word of God, by the way, most likely you're not going to get the Word of God posted on on the government schools, on the hallway, or in the classroom. I have no problem passing out condoms, but they're going to have a hard time passing out New Testaments. But we need a place where your kids don't have to fight through the filth and swim through the junk. And they're not having to wonder what God has already settled some time ago and has made clear in His Word. It's the Word of God. But this emphasis is not given to the pastor. It's not given to the school. It's given to the parents. It's the parents that have got to take this into the home. And one of the reasons that I find that people don't necessarily want to enlist in a Christian school is because they don't want too much Christian in the home. They don't want to be scrutinized. They don't want to be exposed in their parenting. And it's easier to let the public school say, hey, you're doing a pretty good job. You're not teaching them how to read at home. We're not teaching them how to read at school either. We're not teaching them how to love God. We believe in separation of church and state. And so you don't have to feel bad about not teaching them to love God either. I want to tell you, the school is never the authority. The Supreme Court is not as supreme as God's court. And God has said that it's mom and dad's responsibility to care more about what God thinks than what your kids say. To care more about what God says than what your kids think. To care more about what God wants than what your kids want. You ought not be a glorified butler or servant to your kids. You ought to be the servant to the Most High God and doing for your children what God says needs to be done. But the only way Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 through 9 is ever going to be a reality in your life is for it to be a reality in your life. And that's why Jesus references this passage. Listen, 
A love relationship is God's desire for your life. Obedience to His law is how we, we most people think of Christianity. Got to do this, got to do that, can't do this, can't do that. We're more known for what we're against than what we're for. God established the law. It was God's idea, never Moses. It was never the people of God who said, let's come up with a law. No, God established the law. But obedience to God's law is simply a gauge of your love. It's not God's ultimate goal. God's love relationship with you is his ultimate goal. He wants your heart. He doesn't want just your obligatory submission to him. He wants your heart. He wants your relationship. And there's a law that is there so that it can help us have the right love for him and experience his love for us. No one goes to a sporting event that I'm aware of so we can watch the rules put in action. No, we want to watch and watch the teams go into uh, competition. We want to see which one's going to win. We want to see the game in action. And we recognize there has to be a referee. There has to be an umpire. There has to be some rules. But we're not there ultimately for the rules. We're there ultimately to root for our team. And God is rooting for us. He wants us to know, as we heard, that he loves us. And the songwriter who wrote, I'm so glad that Jesus, Jesus loves me, but our obedience to his word is that gauge. You see, what is described here is an immersive learning of scripture. I'm glad for our, our Bible quizzing and brother Yusef Baker heads that up. And, and it's a lot of verses. It's a lot of intake. But if a kid ever immerses themselves in memorizing scripture and never lets the scripture master them, they've missed the whole point. But these are just simply the Bible quizzing, Bible memory. We're going to hear from some kids tonight. Getting it into their heart is a, is a step. It's a piece of the puzzle. And what, what the, the, the Moses is saying in Deuteronomy is God wants us to to have an immersive relationship with the Word and the passing on of the Word of God by inundating ourselves with it at all times of the day and in all places in our homes. How many times have we seen a president, presidential candidate, stand up and give their favorite verse? And they can't even pronounce the book of the Bible. That's their favorite verse. How do you not know that it's Psalms? It's not Palms, Mr. Biden. Well, there's a reason. Because they do not inundate themselves with Scripture. They just use it like too many of us use it as just the thing that we carry under our arm. And we're at a point today because we got it on our cell phones. We don't even bring our Bibles into church. Psalms. Speaking of the Psalms, begins with a, a program, a statement of the kind of person who's truly blessed and happy. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to be blessed? Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2, but his delight, who? The blessed happy man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you believe what God says, the blessed and happy person is going to meditate on the law of God day and night, you're going to see 
that's a pretty good reason to come back to church tonight. That's a pretty good reason to have church anytime we have church because that's where our focus is. That's where our attention might be. The person who is happy is the one delighting in God's word. The psalmist is telling us that this happy and blessed person makes scripture not just something to read every now and then, but essential to one's life. There's actually, think about it this way. I wrote this down. The blessed and happy person, according to the Psalms, is addicted to the Bible. An addiction to the Bible. Almost obsessive level of focus on what God has said. Always reading it, thinking about it over and over in our minds, applying it to every area of our lives. He says in Psalm 1 and verse 2, to delight ourselves in God, to delight in something is to find pleasure in it. Can you tell me how you delighted in God's word this week? Not, not, not how you disciplined yourself with it, but how did you delight in what God said? The blessed individual finds this in God's word, meditating day and night. To meditate, it's, it means to recall, to ponder, interact with it in mind. It is, it is letting it just sit and hang out in your brain. Larry Mooney texted me yesterday and said, I've just been meditating on this thought from God's word. That's meditating. You know, it sticks with us. It stays with us. And when we meditate on God's word, we're mentally chewing on it until it becomes a part of us. When we meditate on the word, we think about it and it connects to our life. We ask ourselves, how does the word speak to the circumstance that I'm facing? This saturation with God's word, it keeps us rooted. That's what Psalm 1 and verse 3, the next verse tells us. The person who delights and meditates in God's word, they're going to stay rooted. They're going to stay steadfast unmovable because Psalm 1 and verse 3 says, and he, the blessed man who delights himself in God's word and meditates, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But you know, Paul gives us some more great benefits from the intake of God's word. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn over to there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to younger Timothy. And he's trying to exhort Timothy, continue growing in your knowledge of Scripture. Timothy, he said over in chapter 2, before you get to chapter 3, go on to chapter 3. But chapter 2, he says, study, Timothy. Study the word of God. Study it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed or disappointed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study it. He's saying, Timothy, study what I've written. Study what Peter has written. 
Study what Luke has written. Study those things and get what the Holy Spirit told us to write from the different perspectives. Study those things. And then he says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, one of the reasons that we ought to have a great intake day and night continually of the Word of God is it's the Word of God which is able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. See, the reason Paul tells Timothy to focus so heavily on the Bible is that it tells us, one, how we can be saved. It tells us that our salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. We can trust the scripture, he goes on to say, not only because it leads us to Jesus' saving work, but he tells us we can trust the scripture because in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And he gives us four ways in which the word of God is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, doctrine, that is what is right. The word of God will help you know what is right. We live in a world that's gone wrong. Everything is, is crazy in this world. And we're being told by people, no absolutes. Everybody is wanting to hang on to the, the badge of whatever I identify with, that's what you have to accept. So I say, I identify as always being right. You, you go down the road of no absolutes, you're going to find yourself in trouble. That's why, that's why the liberals lose their mind because they don't use their mind. And they will never win by getting away from that which is logic, right, common sense. But what is more important than just simple logic is God's Word. God's Word will always tell us and help us in that doctrine what is right rebuke. What is rebuke? Well, uh, it's reproof, but it's rebuke. The word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 is reproof, but it's rebuking, it's reproving, it's telling us what's wrong. The Bible is always going to say, this is right, and this is what's wrong in your life. And then, not just for doctrine and reproof, but also for correction. What is correction? It's how to get right. Aren't you glad it'll tell you how to get right? It doesn't just tell you, hey, you're in bad shape. Good luck. No, God, God's telling us, here's what's right. Here's where you're wrong. Here's how to get right. And then instruction, that's training in righteousness, is how to keep it right. That's the word of God. Every day you get into the Bible, God is saying, hey, here's what's right. The Spirit of God will say, hey, here's where you're wrong. And the Spirit of God will say, here's how you can get it right. And then the Spirit of God through the Word of God says, here's how you can keep it right. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful reality. Everything a believer needs to become all that God has has been deposited in the Scriptures, the Word of God. I'll give you another thought. There's a close connection between hearing God's law and doing God's law in the Scripture. You always will find a close connection. Let me just mention a few of these in the Bible. Josiah. 
Josiah is a great example who was just a young boy when he became king. In fact, I think he was eight, nine years old, I think, when he became king. I used to think there is no way I'd vote for a king who's eight or nine, but now I think I would. I would vote for a president eight or nine. If you have any, any um, good candidates there, it would be a lot better than what we have. And um, Josiah, I don't want to digress, but um, I do want to get the point across. And uh, Josiah was a great example of one who had a close connection between hearing God's law and doing God's law. The book of the law had been lost for a period of years in Israel's history. Can you imagine that? Meaning that the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Anytime you diminish the word of God, you have a low intake of scripture. You will be inclined to do that which is right in your own eyes. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death or separation from God. And they had no clear authority or word from the Lord. Imagine, imagine God's people who had been given the word of God, the house of God was without the word. Imagine losing the word of God in the house of God. But isn't that really the indictment of many of our churches across the land? Churches who ought to represent the pillar and ground of truth, but they're operating on tradition more than we are truth. We've lost the word of God in the house of God. But the Bible teaches in 2 Kings 22, when King Josiah rediscovered the law, the word of the Lord, he heard it. When he heard it, it affected him profoundly. What happened? Well, first, he wept over his failure. He wept over his failure to measure up to God's righteous standards. What's another word for that? He repented. He repented. See, reformation alone is not going to change people. There has to be repentance and renewal within the heart. You know why there were men who stood up here last Sunday night, gave testimony? Because they repented. Without repentance, reformation will never give you a testimony. You can cut your hair, you can change your outfit, you can do the the right things, but it's not reformation that's the answer. It's repentance. There came with the finding of the law in the temple, Josiah's response of repentance to God. And then he made a new covenant with the Lord. In other words, he said, God, I'm entering, entering into a covenant with you. I know you mean business with us. I'm going to mean business with you. And then Josiah began smashing the idols that God's people had wrongly worshipped. That's what repentance will do. It's not going to say, oh God, forgive me for watching this and saying this and doing this and still keeping those things in your life. No, when repentance comes in, repentance says, God, you're right, I'm wrong, that's wrong. And you begin to sweep through and smash those things. It's good for us to get rid of some stuff. Maybe there's some stuff in the closet, some stuff in the drawer, stuff on your phone. And, and, And Josiah, he smashed those idols. Then he reinstated the right worship of God according to the law. In other words, he set out to follow it carefully. Somebody could say, Josiah, this is not how we've done it. And Josiah would have said, well, what does God's word say about it? Let's look it back up and see. 
Hey, I want to tell you, that's a great picture for how we ought to treat Scripture. It's good, listen, it's good to have God's Word. How many people have it? Would you raise your hand? It's good to have God's Word. It's even better to hear God's Word. I'm going to go one step further. It's of greatest blessing to heed God's Word. That's what James 1, 19 through 25 is talking about. Do you know what happened with King Uzziah? Excuse me, Josiah. You know what happened with him? You say, yeah, he repented. You know why he repented? Because he humbled himself. Humility is the key. He humbled himself. The king humbled himself before the Lord and God spared the land. God moves when you humble yourself. Why? Because when you humble yourself and I humble myself, it allows for God to move. It's like, it's like uh, God saying, the two of us, we can't stand on the same square here. One of us is going to have to back out of the way. We sing the song, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. But in our hearts, God knows what we're really singing is, have mine own way, Lord, have my own way. I'm the potter. You're my clay. And God says, you stay with that plan of reasoning. And the Bible says, God resists the proud. He resists the proud. We're talking about revival. The reason why these men had testimonies this past week and will continue to do so is because they humbled themselves when they were confronted with truth and they repented and God stepped in and they were saying, God was good to me. God spoke to me. God met with me. And there's always something to brag on God about. Humility. Or do you get confronted and you say, who do you think you are telling me? Show me. Show me. Show me in my life where you see something wrong. You know who had that response? The Pharisees. And Jesus was pretty hard on the, the hottest message he preached on hell. He preached to the religious crowd. The Luke chapter 15 messages of some people who are lost, he preached to that religious crowd. And Jesus said, you know the scriptures, but you don't know me. Why? Because they didn't humble themselves. You know, there's not a problem in your life or mine that could not get fixed if we would just humble ourselves. Amen. There are people who've left church, been out of shape, pooched their lip out, and they established their cause, and they got a hearing of others. But the biggest problem was they just wouldn't humble themselves. Hey. You can get what you want, but you're going to lose what you had. God doesn't draw nigh to you or me. He only draws nigh to the humble. Amen. Humble. Working on a message. Because there's a group that are called Recovering Fundamentalists. I'm preaching a message at some point in time when God lets me on. The prodigal son. The recovering fundamentalist. He got what he wanted. But he lost what he had. 
Anytime you leave the Father, it's not a good idea. You know why he left the Father? He wanted what he wanted. You know why people are trying to recover from fundamentalism? Is because fundamentalism is bad. No, it's because they want what they want. And what they want is not the Father. God will let you go play in the hog pen. He'll let you stay in the hog pen. You say, I don't think God would ever let... Did the Father in Luke 15 let the prodigal wonder? Did He let him stay? Sure. Could the Father have found him? Sure. The same one who went searching for the lost coin found it. The same one who went searching for the lost sheep found it. But the same storyteller, Jesus, gave the third story and He said, the Father, He was waiting. Why? Because the erring prodigal rebel had a will of his own. And he wasn't going to come home until he was ready to say, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I'm the clay. And when you see it's far better to understand you're the clay instead of playing in the mud and clay, you're going to find there's a father waiting for you and the prodigal son came home. And I'm so glad the prodigal son could come home. But you hear me, he came home with some regrets and scars that he wished he never had. I'm glad the Lord lets us come back. But he never wanted him to go away in the first place. But what happens is when you have God's word, you don't hear God's word. Or you have God's Word and you hear God's Word, but you don't heed God's Word. You become self-deceived. Let me ask you a question. Have you lost the Word of God somewhere? In the midst of a religious life, have you lost God's Word? In the midst of your Bible quizzing, have you lost God's Word? In the midst of your Bible teaching, have you lost God's Word? In the midst of your Bible studying and discipleship, have you lost God's Word? Does God still speak to you? Do you still obey? When we hear rightly the revelation of God, we're going to align our desires, our thoughts, and our actions, and our will we're going to repent. We will weep with conviction over our failures. We'll take steps necessary to turn from our idols. We'll turn to God alone to worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is what we mean by seeing Scripture as authoritative. There's another one in the Bible. His name is Ezra. We see the same pattern repeated. When Ezra read the law of, of God to Israel upon their, their return from exile, you know what the people of God did? They wept. As they understood what the law meant, they wept. They were broken. What did Ezra do? He comforted them. You know, he didn't comfort them before they wept. He comforted them after they wept. And not because they wept, but because they were broken. Amen. See, some people weep because they know they're going to get in trouble. He didn't comfort them because they were feeling bad about their sin, he comforted them whenever they repented. Here's another one. I didn't put this in there in the notes on the screen, but Nehemiah, I can't mention Ezra without thinking of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. The people took a whole extra day to hear the word, confess their sin, worship the Lord. And Nehemiah is a great role model for us. He, he wasn't a prophet. 
He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a preacher. He was a, he was a layman, if we want to say it that way. I don't necessarily like the word. But Nehemiah is a great example who was devoted to the Word of God. He was disciplined in doing what the Word of God said and getting to work. He, he devoted himself to the Word and prayer. He didn't run from difficulties, but he trusted God to help him face it. I want to mention another one that's even more important than these. His name is Jesus. If you ever look at the life of Jesus, you'll see just how powerful God's Word was in the life of Jesus. In his temptation, Jesus quotes three times from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, by the way, is the most quoted book in Jesus' life and ministry. He is showing us our need to refute the lies of Satan. Jesus is modeling for us how to crush the schemes of the devil in our own lives by having God's word deep within our hearts and recalling it in time of temptation. Jesus quoted from the Psalms while he hung on the cross. Now that doesn't come out unless it's in. Jesus opens up the scriptures to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he shows the disciples how the scriptures are pointing to him. We find this in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Then Jesus said unto them, O fools! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Listen, this road to Emmaus, it shows us again we need profound humility. Humility as we approach the reading of God's word. Because without faith and without Christ opening our eyes, we can't rightly understand it. I'm convinced that that's why people can come to church service after service and feel pretty good that I'm here, but they're not here. They're disengaged. That's why they don't get anything out of it. That's why the invitation, they're, they're sitting there saying, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. If you're falling asleep in school and the teacher called upon you to answer the question and you're not even sure what the question was because you were sleeping. No, it didn't happen. But anybody know of anybody like that where it happened to them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember in Bible college, we, we would have some sleep. It was, you know, some work. We had some married students. They worked all night and they'd come to school and they would drift off to sleep and remember waking up a guy one time. I think it was Dr. Childs' class because we knew it would be the one that would have most consequence. We said, hey, Paul, Dr. Childs wants you to pray. He woke up, stood up, started praying. <laughs> you had to know Dr. Childs back then. Now he looks at you a certain way because he can't see you. Then he looked at you a certain way because he wanted to hit you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he looked at him. Son, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, it, was, it wasn't me who did that. I, was just, I just nudged him for the other guy to tell him about it. But a lot of people look at the invitation. I don't know. What to, I, don't, I don't think it's that big deal. At least I'm here. I, mean, I, I, got the, I got the important stuff. Yeah, you slept right through the important stuff. We need humility. Let me give you another thought. In thinking about reading the scripture and why we should do it, a great study through Psalm 119, I think, would be a help. 
Because Psalm 119 helps us to reflect on the many different ways that we can explore the benefit of God's Word. Let me just list some things that I've noticed in Psalm 119, the benefit. When we read Scripture, we read it to keep our way blameless and pure, to gain an upright heart. We read the Scripture to be free from sin, to gain God's commendation, to find life, to understand God's ways, to be strengthened, to separate truth from falsehood, to be reminded of God's promises, to be reminded of God's love and salvation, to find hope, to find comfort. And that's not even a third of the way through. In fact, here I've got listed in my Bible a few others that are not, won't be on the screen, but benefits of reading my Bible. I've got in verse 11, the Bible will keep me from sin. Verse 28, the Bible will lift my burdens. Verse 105, the Bible will guide my steps. Verse 111, the Bible will bring me joy. Psalm 130, 119, verse 130, the Bible will lead me to wisdom. Psalm 119, verse 165, the Bible will give me peace. And verse 176, the Bible will bring me back to God. I mean, over and over we see the psalmist saying, there's benefit in this. Write these things down. We'll help you eternalize them and remember them. But we want to internalize and recognize that God's word is, is very beneficial to us. Let me give you another thought. And this is just practical. Let me give you a few practical pieces of advice that have helped me as I've tried to develop a spiritual habit of reading the scriptures each day. And it can be very beneficial, be very beneficial to read the scripture in the morning. Why is reading the scripture helpful in the morning? Well, before you start out on a trip, you'd want to look at your map before you go out on the trip. Before you make a trip, you want to make sure you've got gas in the tank. You say, I like to read it at night. Good. Do that too. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. But see, reading the scripture in the morning, it helps you abide in Christ to be filled with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. Reading God's word before you start the activities of the day, it really facilitates a close connection with the Lord. When I go a few days without doing this, I can really feel the withdrawals and a sense of disconnection. Find a time and find a place when you're least likely to be distracted so you can easily focus on and meditate on what you're reading. Let me give you the HEAR method. You may have heard this. Simple method to structure your daily reading is HEAR, H-E-A-R. It's an acronym. It stands for highlight a key verse or verses. Explain the meaning and context. Apply these verses to your life. Respond to God in prayer. Again, writing these things down is going to help you internalize them, remember what you've learned, and then you can always go back to it later. That's what our Christ Walk Journal does for us. 
It encompasses what we talked about last week, prayer. Our Christ Walk Journal, it also encompasses a specific portion of Scripture the Spirit of God speaks to us about and let us put back into writing what God has spoken to us about. Let me say, when it comes to reading the Bible, have a reading plan. Whether aggressive or simple, have a plan and stick to it. There are many great plans out there. But the important thing is to begin with finding something that's manageable in order to develop the habit. Dr. Childs has put out a pamphlet, and he'll be glad to give it to you. And and Brother Cherry probably has a copy of it available. But it's how to have a quiet time. Just some simple, practical things. Again, strategy, i got a plan, i got a Bible, I've got all this. Strategy alone is not the answer. It's developing a culture of habit where it's, it, we are addicted to it. We're obsessed with God. Have you ever been accused of that? I haven't. But shouldn't we be? Let me give you an important principle. If you're not filling the well, it's hard to draw anything from it. Unless you're filling your heart and mind with God's word each day, it's going to be hard to bring it to mind, the biblical truth that's necessary to bear on your situation when you face a crisis. When you get hit with a major decision or a crisis, if you've been regularly storing up God's word in your heart and letting it form in your mind, you'll have a better idea of what, of what God would have you do. You say, how do you, how do you remember? Well, that's what the Spirit of God does. He wrote the book. And when we study him and what he thinks about something, he's the leader and teacher and guide into all truth. And when you face something, he'll bring it up to you like he did Joshua. And he says, haven't I said this already? Haven't I told you this? As Jesus said to his disciples, haven't we talked about this before? And the Spirit of God will bring it to your mind. And you'll think, man, I'm a pretty good Bible student. I think I ought to go take a Bible theology exam. I think I could get a degree. I, I, I thought, I, I am really good. No, no. When you spend time with him, you'll find he'll come through for you. The more we read God's word, our inner life and our way of life reflects Christ. And only when we find God working through us, you're going to find what God has for us. And you're going to experience him within your life. Now this is our third habit out of our five habits of developing a culture of lifestyle of healthy Christian living. If, if, if you're not having a time with God each day in the book, let me encourage you, take some time. Ten minutes. Carve out ten minutes of your morning and just start. Don't just let it be random wherever it opens up because you're going to find yourself spending more time just getting acclimated. But you need, you need a Bible that you can write in. You need a Bible that you can sit down in a notepad in which you can write out some things. You, you, need, you need to get engaged. You need to be able to sit down like I work with my kids over whenever I'm talking. I, I let them know, look at me. Oh, I hear you. Oh, I know you can hear me better. Look at me. Look at my eyes. 
Don't just hear what I say. See what I say. Know what I say. And how much better when our Heavenly Father speaks to us that we give Him our attention. Turn your phone off. Some of you are looking for it. Anyone turn it off now would be a good idea too. That wouldn't hurt you. But, but when you go spend time with God, there, there's, there's nothing... Do you, have you ever talked to somebody who has their phone on their wrist? I'm talking to people, and they're, they're giving me the idea, Pastor, what you're saying is very important. Uh, go ahead, Pastor. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So I'm just starting to do that now. Talk to Brother Baker. The baker said, what are, you look, what are you looking at? I don't know, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. Really tells you how, excuse me. I got a watch, it's not a smart watch. It's even smarter than a smart watch because it has the sense enough to stop interrupting when I don't need to be interrupted. And when you're in the presence of God, you don't need to be interrupted. You say, what if it's important? Satan knows and he's going to tell you everything. Oh, you got to do this. I, I, I'll tell you this. I have more distractions when I'm trying to spend time with the Lord. You know how I've eliminated the distractions from taking over? By having a separate sheet of paper. And when something comes, oh, i got to get that done. I just write it down and it's done. I don't have to think about it. And I have the greatest to-do list when I'm talking to the Lord. Because when something gets brought up, I write it down. And I go back to focusing on Him. If you're involved and you're reading your Bible through once every three months, take it up a notch. Whatever you're planning, you've been doing it regularly for 40 years, take it up a notch. Move to the category of getting obsessed and addicted. Get so that your spouse comes to me and says, something's wrong with my husband. I think he needs help. He's addicted to his Bible. Take it up a notch. Start memorizing. Start fasting. Oh, we got to get back into these rules. No, no, we're getting back into love. Get back into finding the love of God so deep and broad. 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Behold. He's saying, don't you know? Don't you know? And most of us would say, Kind of? Maybe? Job 23 and verse 12. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In Psalm 19 verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, the much fine gold sweeter also than honey than the honeycomb. Psalm 119 verse 97 as we read as our text. Oh, how I love thy law is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. John 5, 39, Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them you think ye have eternal life and they are they, Jesus said, which testify of me. Matthew twenty two twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Acts 17 and verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. What's your attitude towards the Bible? 
Let's stand together, please.